Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. There's nothing like a series on relationships to remind me that I need help. Uh, matter of fact, this is, a, this is kind of a tradition for us here at Vertical Church. Every seems like almost every February we do a series on relationships, marriage and whatnot. Five years ago we did our first one called Bringing Sexy Back. And, uh, and some of you are here because of that series, and that's cool. Um, and, then, uh, and then from there, we did a series called Unhappily Ever After, um, uh, which was both of those were just on the Song of Solomon. We went verse by verse through that book of the Bible, uh, so we gave them catchy names, right? Then a couple years ago, we did uh, Man versus Wife, and uh, we actually had a whole wedding ceremony right here um, in, in the theater, right? They're still here. They're still married, and they're happy. They're not unhappily ever after. They are still happy. And so last year we did a series called Ooh La La, uh, and we're not going to talk much about Ooh La La during this series, so it's safe, fairly. Um, there is one Sunday where we may kind of uh, touch on the Ooh La La topic, but um, there's nothing like a relationship series to remind me that I need help. I do, man. I need help. Let's just have a mass confession. How many of you would agree with me and say, I need help? Just raise your hand like, I need help. Relationships, I need help. Okay. How many of you would say, my spouse or significant other needs help? Raise your hand. Put your hand down. That was a test, and you failed right off the bat. You need a relationship restart right now. Um... No, but seriously, I'm excited about this series. I am. I really am. I, I, love, I love talking about relationships. And, and whether you're married today or whether you're engaged or, or newly married or been married for 50 years, whether you're single, divorced, looking, or it's complicated, we believe that God has something to say to you. We believe that in this series, God has something to speak for you. And because we all recognize we all need help, This series is not for them, whoever them might be, the person sitting next to you, the person that wouldn't get out of bed and come with you this morning, whoever them may be, this series is not for them, this series is for you, because you and I need help. We need God to to speak to us, and I believe there's a conversation God wants to have with each and every one of us individually about our relationships. And a lot of the things we're going to talk about, just to be honest with you, are things that you can apply in any kind of relationship. I know this is called Relationship Restart, and we're going to be focusing on romantic relationships, but the things we're going to talk about could apply to friendships. It could apply to to, to your relationship with your parent or with your coworkers, because we're going to be talking about ideas and big ideas that really just cover a whole whole gamut of our relationships. And, And I just want to be true with you right up front. Not only do I need help relationally, but I've needed help my whole life, okay? When I was in elementary school, I was in the fifth or sixth grade, I remember, and we were having an end-of-the-year dance, okay? Uh, so, so I'm fifth, sixth grade, end-of-the-year dance, and, and if you're not familiar with elementary school dances, in my school, what that looked like is all the boys stayed kind of on one side of the gym or the bathroom for some real weird reason we hung out in the bathroom right um and all the girls stayed on the other side of the gym and for like two hours uh the english teacher like played some music and we all just stood there well i had there was this girl that i liked and i'm only going to say her first name i doubt she's watching this but her name was carolyn 
And I liked Carolyn so bad. And I knew that, that the year was about to be over and we were going to go to summer break and I wasn't going to see her again. So I'm hanging out in the bathroom with my boys, right? And we're talking and we're hanging out and we're probably splashing water on each other. Whatever, whatever fifth and sixth grade guys do, right? And so it's getting close to the end of the dance and I, I gather up all the nerve that I can. And I march out of that bathroom and I go across that lonely walk across the gym floor where it's like just the death zone. Nobody's moving and every, everybody's looking at me crossing the barrier of the great divide. And I go over and Carolyn's talking with like two or three friends and I grab her by the hand and I said, would you like to have this dance? She said yes, you know, she said yeah, and we went over right in the middle of the gym, and we're, we're dancing, you know, in, in grade school you dance like this, kind of robots, right? And I thought I was smooth, I thought I was smooth, I thought, man, I was, I was like the stuff, and, and she looked at me walking across the, the gym, and she, she probably thought, that boy needs help, and it was, she was right, she was right, I needed help, it didn't end there, in junior high, I'm going to just embarrass myself today, let's just get it all out there, in junior high, I liked this girl, and her name was Erin, and I called her up, and I can't sing, but I called her up, and I started singing a Travis Tritt love song right on the phone, right on the phone to her, and she's like, Oh, Travis Tritt. You don't even know country music unless you know Travis Tritt. And so I start singing this song because I thought it was romantic and she thought, that boy needs help. Um, and it doesn't stop there. Like, when I was in college, when I was in college, uh, I was part of a ministry team. Uh, and, I, and, and we traveled around and we, we showed up at this church on a Wednesday night. And we did our thing, right? And then I look and this, the, the most beautiful person I had ever seen in my life walks in and she's wearing a black leather jacket and like a white shirt and jeans like she just stepped out of Greece or something I don't even know but but I look at her and I'm thinking oh my gosh you know and and she's she's dressed nice and she looks so beautiful and I'm on this team with like a gray t-shirt baggy jeans my t-shirt is tucked into my pants and I've got a matching belt and shoes on and I looked at her and I thought, whoa. And she thought, that boy needs help. But, um, but anyway, that was hope. That was hope. And so it worked out okay. Like it worked out all right for me. Because um, I've needed help my entire life. I, I needed help on our wedding day. On our wedding day, listen, Hope and her and her mom and her whole family, like we 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 dated for a couple years, we were engaged for like nine months, and they planned this thing perfectly. They were meticulous. The dress was beautiful, the flowers were great, the music was unbelievable, the reception, it was awesome. I had one job. Tuxedo. Pick out a tux for you and all the groomsmen. Alright, I can do that. So I picked out a tux and I picked out this this uh, combination of a black jacket with gray pinstripe pants, right? Too complicated. I know that was my first mistake, but I liked the look. And so black jacket, gray pinstripe pants, and we're getting ready on the wedding day. You know, it's a couple hours before uh, the, the ceremony starts, and, and all the guys are like in this Sunday school room just getting dressed. And I look around, and I look at my buddy Justin, who's one of my groomsmen, and I'm thinking, there's something not right about this picture. And I look, and all the other guys have gray pants, except Justin, and he has black pants. And I was like, oh, this is not good. This is not good. What are we going to do? And, um, 
And so I, I thought it wasn't a big deal, but evidently the, the photographer and everybody else thought we can't have one guy up there with black pants and everybody else with gray pants. It looks stupid. So what happened was uh, I had to ask my father-in-law on the day of the wedding of his oldest daughter uh, to, to take his pants off and exchange pants with this guy he never knew. And, and they were a little bit, like they were pretty much the same size, except uh, my father-in-law, oddly enough, was a little bit taller than he was. And so they had the guy had to come and let the pants out. And I'm telling you, like the whole time, and he's not here, so I can say this, the whole time I'm watching him and he's doing this, and I'm thinking, I have just ruined my father-in-law's daughter's wedding day, and it's all on me, and I have failed, so I'm sweating. And I'm thinking about it as I'm standing up there with the minister, and like sweat is dripping off of me. I think I've ruined the whole day. Everything was perfect until, until I picked the wrong tux. Why didn't I just keep it simple? And then the door opened, and there came Hope, and she's walking down. And I'm, I'm stressed out, and I'm nervous, and sweat's just pouring off of me as I think I'm, I've ruined this special day. But then I look at her, and she's so beautiful, and she's so gracious, and I... And and I thought to myself, I have never seen anyone as, as, as beautiful and, and, as, and as awesome as, as, as the person I'm looking at right now. And she looked at me with all the sweat coming down and she thought, that boy needs help. And she was right, I did and I still do. And so today we all need help. So uh, let's get some help. And the good news is that God wants you to get help. God wants to help you in your relationship. So if you're like me and you could use some help... Uh, then, then let's jump on this journey for a few weeks and, uh, and get some help together. Because I believe, like we said, God, God has something for you. God wants to, if your marriage is together and going great, God wants to bless it and take it further. If it's kind of struggling, you know, God wants to come in and, and give you a restart. Uh, if you're looking, if you're like, you know, you're still kind of searching, trying to pick out the one, God wants to, God wants to uh, open your eyes so that you can see like he sees. And that's kind of something a, bit, a little bit what we're going to talk about. Today, All right, if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to start with the very first couple in the entire Bible, right? Like the first couple, we're going to look at that story. Let me give you a little bit of context. God created the whole world, and that's the context. Um, because we're right at the beginning of the story. So, so God created the entire universe, and now he's about to create humanity in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And look at this, look at this. Uh, for verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man... From the dust of the ground and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now I want, to, I want you to get this mental picture in your head, right? God has just created the entire cosmos. He's created all the plants, all the, all the, the, the beaches and the mountains and the trees and it's all there. And so God comes and God, God starts playing in the dirt. Okay, God, God, God kind of starts forming this, this dirt man at his feet and he starts shaping him into, into who he's going to be. And then he looks at him and just like all the girls in my life have looked at me, God looks at Adam and says, that boy needs help. And so he bends over, God kneels down and breathes life into Adam's nostrils and he becomes a living human being. And the first time Adam wakes up, when his eyes open for the very first time of his entire existence, the first thing his eyes behold is the face of God kneeling over top of him. Can you imagine that wake up call? Like that's a pretty good wake up. Like waking up to life and seeing the source of life kneeling over you. That's 
That's powerful, right? When Adam opens his eyes, the first thing he sees is God. And so God makes Adam and God welcomes Adam into this relationship with God himself. And then God puts Adam to work. Uh, A lot of times we think we just jump straight to God created Eve. But no, no, no. God gave Adam a a, a mission, a purpose, a a work to do. And so God says, Adam, I want you to start naming all of the the creation, all the animals. And so Adam's like, cool. And we don't know how long it took, but, you know, it's like, you know, antelope, um, uh, buffalo, chimpanzee, dog, you know, elephant, ferret. Giraffe, God, I like what you did with the big long neck thing. That's cool. But what it says is in verse 20, we get to the point where where God sees that Adam has no suitable helper for himself. That he looks and he notices all these animals that I'm creating, you know, um, they all have some kind of companionship. And Adam has no companionship. And the job that God has given him to do is too big for him to do by himself. And God recognizes he does not have a suitable partner. Adam, Adam notices that everybody else is kind of pairing off. And he thinks, I don't really have anybody to pair off with. And so before she's even created, there's this ache in Adam's heart for Eve. There's this aching, this longing for another to, to, to come alongside of him and to do the thing that God had called them to do. But here's an important part that we cannot miss. God made Adam wait. God made Adam wait. We don't know how long Adam waited. We don't know. It could have been days, could have been weeks, could have been months, could have been years. We don't have a clue how long God made him wait before he created Eve, but God made him wait, which tells us that, that we might not know why God made him wait, but that God made him wait must mean there's something important about waiting. In our relationships, waiting is often the hardest part. None of us like to wait. I don't like to wait. You probably don't like to wait. Our culture doesn't like to wait. But waiting is the hard work of relationships. We wait till we get married to consummate the marriage and, and, and have sex with each other. We wait until, we wait until we're married to, to move in together and begin sharing our life together. We wait until we really know the person to decide, I'm going to spend my entire life with you. Because God, God wants us to wait. And sometimes waiting is the hardest thing to do, but waiting is so important. And this doesn't just apply to your relationships, man. If you take this, this will help you in all of your life. Waiting, God does something in the waiting. And and here's what I've discovered, right? Waiting, what what God does in the waiting is just as important as what you're waiting for. What God does in you while you're waiting for the promise that He's already given you is just as important as the promise. Because there's a, there's a period of time between the promise and the payoff, and it's called the waiting room, and you've got to pass through the waiting room so that you can be the kind of person to receive the promise when it comes. Because there's something important that God does in our lives in the waiting times. God does his greatest work in us while we're waiting. We, we get so antsy. God, I want to move this along. You might be single today and you're wondering, God, when am I finally going to meet that one and get married and it's going to be great. God, when is that going to happen? And God's just telling you, you need to wait. Maybe, maybe God's got you in the waiting room. Maybe you're getting engaged. Maybe you're engaged right now. 
And you just want to hurry up and get to that wedding day. But, but don't miss out on the waiting time. Because when you circumvent the waiting, you sabotage the work. Let me say that again because some of that like went over your head. So let me say that real slowly so you can get it. When you circumvent the waiting, when you bypass the waiting, when you go around the waiting, you sabotage the work God wants to do in you during the waiting. So God made Adam wait. And we don't know why God made, made Adam wait, but the point is God made him wait. And then God decided, he looked at him and like everybody said about me, that boy needs help. So God puts him to sleep. And here's what happens. Verse 20. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, which is so cool, right? Okay, oh gosh, I hope you can see this. Um, So the first time Adam wakes up, he opens his eyes and he sees the face of God. And the next time we're told that he closes his eyes, when he opens them again, he sees the face of Eve. Think about that. Isn't that cool? That's two really awesome wake-up calls. Like, wake up, the face of God. Wake up, the face of Eve. God, what are we going to do the next time I go to sleep? Like, who's going to be there? God, this is awesome. Um, And and it's awesome. And ladies, I'm going to let you in on a secret, okay? When God created Eve, Adam was asleep. He had no clue what God was doing, creating her, which tells us that that's why guys have no clue what's going on with you. (laughs) This is from the beginning, y'all. Like, this is from the beginning of the story. Men have no clue because we were asleep. We're sleeping through the process. Don't blame us. Blame God. So... Here's what I want to do today, okay? I want to, I want to zoom out, and I want to get a big-picture idea. A big-picture idea, and then we're going to work through that big idea, and then I'm going to zoom in and tell you the one thing that if you need a relationship restart, do this. We're going to, we're going to get real kind of, um, kind of big-picture, you know, 30,000 30,000 feet view, and then we're going to zoom all the way down to if you and your spouse, you and your fiance, you and your boyfriend, girlfriend will do this one thing, it'll set you up for success down the road. All right, so here we go. Here's the big picture that we see in those three verses. You were created by God and for God. And that sounds like, well, yeah, we know that, but we don't know that. We don't know that because, because think about this. All that faith stuff that we were talking about, right? Adam's first wake up is, is, is when he sees the face of God. So Adam opens his eyes the very first time and he sees the face of God. Meaning, this relationship is the primary relationship in Adam's life. This relationship is the relationship that brings fulfillment, that brings life, that is the source of life for Adam. This is the relationship that Adam was created Four, the first time he wakes up, he sees the face of God. The second time he wakes up, he sees the face of Eve, which is not inconsequential. There's an important thing that we have to realize here. And I hope that you'll understand this because this is what the whole day is based on. This one thought. You have to see the face of God first before you can recognize the image of God in the person that you love. Because you were created by God and for God. If you don't see the face of God first, if you don't recognize the face of God first, you are incapable of loving the face of the person that's sitting beside of you. 
This is what Jesus tells us, right? Jesus tells us to, uh, they, they ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and, and, and different people put those four words in there. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. What's Jesus saying? Jesus saying is, Jesus is telling us, look, you got to understand something. You were created by God and for God. You have to be in right relationship with him. And only then can you be in right relationship with other people. Because God is your primary relationship. He is the one you were created by, and he is the one you were created for. So any relationship restart must begin with, I have to see the face of God. I have to have a relationship with God. I have to encounter God. I have to be in right relationship with him because unless I am in right relationship with him, I am, I am incapable of being in right relationship with my spouse, with my parents, with my boyfriend, with my fiance, with my coworkers. You have to see the face of God first before you can recognize the image of God in the people around you. Adam wakes up, he sees the face of God. Then he goes to sleep and he wakes up and he sees the face of Eve. You see, we're really confused in our culture because we'll say stuff like, you know, man, it just seems like Bill and Jess were made for each other, doesn't it? No, they weren't. You were not made for another human being. You were made for God. That sounds like, well, yeah, okay, I get it. But we don't live that way. We don't live that way because because what we, the way we live is the way is we draw our significance from our relationship status, and if we're divorced, then we we deal with the trauma and the turmoil of our past. If we are if we are happily married, then we feel the joy that comes from that. But but your identity does not come from whom you're in relationship with, from whom you're dating, from whom you're you're married. Your identity comes from God because God is the one who created you, and you were created by God. And for God, which means only God can fulfill you. Only God can bring you the fulfillment that you're looking for. You see what happens? God, God breathes life into Adam. Remember that passage, verse 7. God leans over, exhales, breathes life into the nostrils of Adam, and he becomes a living being. So God was Adam's source. If you're trying to get your life from another person, you're going to end up disappointed and they're going to end up drained. Because you can't get life from another human being. God is the one who breathes life into us. God is the one who, 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 who leans over us. And in that moment where we feel dead, in that moment where we were dead in our sins, Christ made us alive and he breathed his spirit into us and enlivened us. See what happens if you try to, so many of us try to suck life from the other people around us and we're just like vacuum cleaners instead of receiving God see the difference you can receive or you can live your life because you were created by God and for God which means only God can fulfill you trying to get your fulfillment trying to trying to fulfill your desire for love joy peace uh, 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 happiness trying to get that from other people in your life is like trying to fill the Grand Canyon with a medicine dropper it's it's useless they don't have it to give you because they are not the source of life. 
You'll just suck life out of them and they will end up drained and you'll be disappointed. We do it all the time. Because while, while Bill may make a great husband, while Jess may make a wonderful girlfriend, they both make horrible gods. And they cannot, listen, some of us are trying to put the weight of our joy, the weight of our peace, the weight of our happiness on the shoulders of other people and it will crush them. They cannot carry that weight. They were not created to. They were created to come alongside you. They were created to enjoy life with you, but they were not created to be your God. And so many of us put them in that position. What it also means, not only does it mean only God can fulfill you, it means that only God has the power to change you. If you were created by God and for God, then only God has the power to change you. Listen, marriage won't change you. Taking vows on your wedding day won't change you. Your spouse can't change you. Only God can change you, which then also means you can't change them. We spend so much energy trying to change the person we're in relationship with, and we end up drained because we're so focused on them, but we have to understand only God has the power to change them. Only God has the power to change you. What marriage will do for you is it will give you incredible insight into your life, what needs changed. (laughs) Like, that's how my marriage works for me. Like, I had no idea how selfish and manipulative and and, and harsh and how quickly I could get angry and how how, uh, impatient I was until I got married. And I think Hope didn't know either because, like, we got back from the honeymoon and she's like, whoa, who's this? Wait a second, where's that guy I married that was all nice and opened doors and was real sweet and was real loving? Where's that guy? Hey, sorry, here I am. Only God can change me. Gotta deal with it. Gotta live it. Live with it. Listen, God will use the relationships around you to reveal what's inside of you that needs to change. But it's not on their shoulders to do the changing. God is is all about helping you grow, becoming the the, the you that he created you to be. And he'll use relationships to expose things which then drive you back to God. Like you you see this thing, oh gosh, I don't know. Why did I respond that way? Why did I react that way? I don't what was it, what was going on in me to make me lash out like that? God, I need help. I need you. I need change. I need need your spirit to to, 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 to transform me more and more. God, I see a need in me that can only be met by you. Not her, not him. I I can't get it from them, God. I need your life to be breathed in me. So only God has the power to change you. And if only God has the power to change you, then it's useless to spend your energy trying to change them. The last thing. The last thing about you were created by God and for God, then we're going to zoom in to something so, so practical, is that God has a purpose for you that's greater. God has a purpose for your relationship that is greater than your pressure. Let me kind of unpack that a little bit. I don't know if you know this, but in your relationships, there are going to be difficulties. (laughs) You're going to go through the proverbial storm, right? Chaos is going to come up. And you need a purpose that's greater than the pressure that you face. Because if you come in contact with pressure that is greater than your purpose, then your purpose will crumble. Let me give you a few examples. Talk to people and they're like, well, we're just staying married for the kids. Well, they're going to move out. Eventually, they're going to get old enough or they're going to move out. And then what are you going to do? Like when your purpose moves out, what do you have left? Right? 
well, we're just we're just married because Pastor Josh on our tax income, you know, married filing jointly is better for us. So we're married for the money. Well, the recession hit and a lot of people lost their reason for being married. And the relationship crumbled because their purpose was not greater than their pressure. Pastor Josh, we, we're, we're married for the sex. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> we're not even going to touch that one. Listen, pressure, pressure is going to come. Storms are going to come and they're going to test your purpose. So we have to stay connected to God because he is our purpose. He is the purpose that is greater than any pressure that you can face. I remember a story told about uh, farmers in the Midwest. Um, I don't know how many of you know about farming in the Midwest, but there's this really cool story about when farmers would, um, would, would know a blizzard's coming. Like they know this blizzard's coming, so they're going to get ready. What they would do is, is they would stretch a rope from their house to the barn. And so because when the blizzard came and, and it became whiteout conditions, they had to still get to the barn to tend their animals, to check on them, to make sure they were okay, to make sure they were fed. So they still had a purpose to get to the barn, but if it was whiteout conditions and they couldn't see, they could easily get lost in their own backyard and wander around feet from their house and freeze to death. And there are stories of farmers freezing to death because they got lost in their own backyard. But if they had the rope between their house and the barn, they could. They had a lifeline. As long as they held to the rope, as long as they held on to the lifeline, they were safe. They weren't going to get lost. I don't know if you know this, but it's real easy to get lost in your marriage. It's super easy to get lost in the backyard of your marriage and wander around lifeless because you can't find your way back home because you don't have a rope to hold on to. God, God wants, God, God wants to be this in your life, this, this rope that you hold on to when chaos hits and the storm hits and it's like, God, I can't, I can't see my way. The, 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 the conditions are, are, are too, it's blinding me, God. The chaos is, it's tough, the hurt and the bitterness and the anger and the, and the words that were said, God, I just want to give up. But God, I'm holding on to the rope. God, I'm not going to let go of you. I'm going to hold unswervingly. That's what Hebrews says in chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, that the author of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who is, uh, who, he who promised is Faithful, And so in your marriage, the only way you're going to make it is if you're holding on to something that's greater than the storm you're going through. Do you see that? You have to hold on to something that's greater than the storm. This is why, this is why your primary relationship is not your spouse, because they'll crumble under the storm. This is why your primary relationship is not financially, because it'll fall in a recession. This is why your primary relationship is not with your kids, because they're going to move away and move out. Your primary relationship is with God, because when the storm hits, I've got to have something that is anchored to something else that's more powerful than the storm that I'm in. I'm going to hold unswervingly to the rope. I'm going to, I'm going to hold on unswervingly to the hope that I profess. And I know right now we've hit a rough patch. And I know right now we're, we're angry with each other. And I know right now things are not working out. And I don't, have, I don't see any way forward. But God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold on to yes. you. Because yes. you are my primary relationship. Because I was created for you. I was created by you. Only you can fulfill me. Only you can change me. You are my purpose that is greater than the pressure 
of this storm. So, God, I'm holding on. I'm holding on. The reason some of your marriages are rocky, man, is because you let go of the rope. And now you're wandering around your backyard lost. And you're just trying to find your way back home. But you let go of the rope. So here's what I want you to do today. I want you to, I want you to take hold of the rope. For some of you, that looks like starting a relationship with Jesus today. He is your primary relationship. And you need to grab the rope. You need to grab the rope. You need to hold on. You need to hold on to a hope that is greater than the storm you're in. You need to hold on to the hope that is anchored in the promises of God. You need to hold, you need, to, you need a foothold in the, in the gospel of Jesus to hold you when everything else seems chaotic and, and crazy. You gotta hold on. Some of you parents, the best thing you can do because your kids are acting crazy, the best thing you can do is to grab the rope. And, and, and listen to me. I know, I know they're acting like a fool. Little, little big, little big doesn't matter. I know they're acting crazy. And I know they're making stupid decisions. And you want to fix them, but just like you can't change your spouse, you can't change your kid. You know what you gotta do? You gotta hold on to the rope. Gotta hold unswervingly to the hope that I profess. Because you who promised, you're faithful. Then the author goes on to list some ways that we can, we can help each other hold on to the rope. Listen to what he says, verse, verse 24. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Fellas, are you pursuing your wife? Are you spurring her on in her relationship with God? Are you, are you, are you speaking words of life? Ladies, are you speaking words of life? Are you, are you spurring them on towards love and good deeds? Are, are you serving them or are you waiting on them to serve you? The, the author of Hebrews said, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love, towards God, towards, towards goodness, towards, towards holiness, towards, towards, towards the spirit of God. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to hold on to God in the midst of the chaos. He goes on, verse 25, he says, not giving up meeting together. Do you know how important it is what you're doing today? Just showing up. Showing up and saying, we may have fought this morning. We, I may have kicked the dog because I wasn't going to kick you. And, and we, may be, we may be at each other's throats when we leave here and get in the car. But you know what? We're going to show up to church. We're going to worship together. Because it's going to be really hard for me to be mad at you when we're worshiping God together. And I, I, we're, going to, we're going to say, God, in the midst of all of the other options that we have, we are making time for you. We're going to come to church Together, we're going to do this together. And when you worship together, you're making a value statement. You're saying, God, I value you more than all of the other options that I could use my time with this morning. He goes on. He says, he says um, not giving up meeting together as summers are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I've never met a person in my life that just said, you know, I don't need any more encouragement. I'm good. I'm, I'm so full of encouragement. I'm just bubbling over. Never met that person. Maybe they exist. But you know what your spouse could use? Some encouragement. Well, if they would, you know, if he had act like it, then I would encourage him. Well, maybe if you encourage him, he'll act like it. I said that too fast and y'all missed it. 
Some of us are like, well, if they would act right, then I would say some nice things to them. Well, maybe if you started saying nice things to them, they'd start acting right. Maybe if you would speak words of life, you would have words of life spoken back to you. But right now, all you're doing is, see, oh gosh, I wish I had time, but we only got like a minute left. Um, there's, there's this idea in scripture about, about, about sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. And if you sow words of life, you reap life. If you sow words of death, then don't wonder why there's death in your relationship. The author of Hebrews says we got to encourage one another. And all the more, we're going to do it more and more as we see the day approaching. So let's do this. Let's get down real practical, real quick, and then I'm going to pray and we'll be done. Here's one thing that you can do. Those were three, right? But here's the one thing I'm asking you to do starting today. And just do it for the rest of this series. And then when the series is over, you can quit. We said this two years ago in our Man versus Wife series. And, and some of you believed me and did it. And you're like, whoa, this is really awesome. Here's the one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing to do with your, with your spouse, fiance, boyfriend, girlfriend. Seek God by praying together, look at this, regularly and out loud. And I know right now you're thinking, whoa, that's super awkward. I'm not going to do that. We don't pray out loud together. Listen. Listen, you do a lot of things that you wouldn't do with anybody else with them. So this is, shouldn't be any bigger of a deal, right? Just do it. Grab their hand, take a deep breath, little prayer, amen. And you don't even have to be original. If you've got a program today, flip it over, look on the back at the bottom. We've given you a prayer. We, I have, we have written you a prayer. Grab their hand, take out the paper, pray the prayer, amen, and, and you're done. Pray together regularly out loud. Now, a couple suggestions. If you're married, pray in bed together. Might lead to other things. Okay? If you're not married, don't pray in bed together. If you're not married, pray vertical. Okay? If you're married, horizontal prayer. Okay? You just got to say that, right? You got to make sure everybody knows that. Here's, here's the difference, and here's what I've discovered, right, in my own life. It's, it's really hard to be, to be angry and mad and hold a grudge at someone that you're kneeling beside of praying with. It's really hard to be angry, to pout at someone that you're taking their hand and you're saying, God, change me. God, be my fulfillment. God, be my purpose. God, what is it that you want to do inside me? It is so difficult to stay angry with somebody you're praying with. Research bears this out. Real quickly, let me share this with you. Research bears this out. Most of, most of the stats say, right, divorce is a 50-50 coin flip. Maybe you'll make it, maybe you won't. We don't know. It's 50-50. But uh, Family Life Today did a research, and they surveyed thousands of couples. And what they discovered is that fewer than 8% of couples <coughs> pray together regularly out loud. But of those 8%, less than 1% ever got a divorce. Think about that. You can choose to live your life like the 92% and you've got 50-50 shot. Or you can live your life like the 8% and your odds go up exponentially for a happy, successful marriage. So, recap. You were created by God for God. Only God can fulfill you. Only God can change you. God has to be your purpose. God wants great things for your marriage. He wants to heal it, restore it, grow it, multiply it, make it awesome. Do this one thing, one thing starting today, and do it for the next four weeks. Pray together 
regularly and out loud. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for this day that we have today. And we thank you for the opportunity to come in here. We thank you, God, that you have, you have spoken to each of us in our own unique way about what it is you want to do in our marriage relationships. God, I pray right now that men and women all over this room would take their first step towards you. Some of us, God, need to take a step of salvation. Some of us need to grab hold of the rope, surrender our lives to you, begin a relationship with you, our primary relationship, before we can move on and, and have a relationship restart. We need to start there. Others of us, God, we're good with you, and now it's time to spur one another on, encourage one another. It's time, to, it's time to speak words of life to each other, and it's time to pray together regularly and out loud. Lord, help us take our step in faith, believing that the God who promised is faithful when we hold unswervingly to him. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.